Well, if this is your first time joining us or the first time in a long time during the month of December, we have been engaged in a study that I have called Awkward Family Christmas. And I kind of stole the idea from a a website and, and a book that became published several years ago that maybe you have heard of. It's Awkward Family Photos. And they have started collecting all of these pictures over time that, that uh, have, have something that is amiss, some person that is acting up or, or somebody that's falling, something that has gone awry. And uh, as we gather during the Christmas season, we, we need to be realistic about our expectations of this holiday season because we are all so busy. In fact, some of us are, are so busy and frantic that, that whenever we get everything in order and get all the, the, the presents, you may make a mistake like this picture that I found that uh, whenever it says from, you just put target. You're just kind of uh, so busy that you, you forget exactly what it is that you are doing. And inevitably, whenever you get together with family, everyone knows that there is somebody that is a favorite. This picture was submitted of the Christmas stockings and it was clear that, <laughs> that this daughter-in-law was not the, the favored one as she finally got a stocking, but it wasn't much of a stocking at all. And this family submitted their picture of their uh, children. It was their first Christmas card that they were sending out and on the left-hand side, you see what they intended it to be. And then on the right side, that, that's real life, isn't it? The baby spitting up on, on the older one. One family took their uh, Christmas picture uh, perhaps a little too early. And uh, one of the sons broke up with their girlfriend, and so they had to put a to-be-determined sticker over the face of, of that uh, particular picture. And then this, this last one is my favorite because everyone knows that, that there's somebody in your family that they would wear a sweater like this. A partridge in a hair tree. You all have awkward people in your family. And we have been studying uh, the the genealogy of Jesus. And whenever Matthew records the the ancestors, he doesn't record every single person in the family line, and he skips over some, but the ones that he includes, they have a history. They have a a sketchy past. We started with, with Abraham, and, and Abraham is this man that was given a promise, but, but he, he kind of struggles to believe in this promise. And so he makes some mistakes along the way. We looked at Judah and Tamar, and this is, well, was kind of a, a, a dirty secret uh, about this incestuous relationship that took place. And, and that is included in the, the family line of, of Jesus. Then you have the, the women uh, of Rahab and Ruth, that, that they are outsiders. They, they live questionable lives. They are women, and that's not a common practice to include them in the genealogy, but, but they are. And each of them conveys a message that God wants us to see about the family 
of God. But there is one individual in this family tree that that sticks out above the rest as being different. And that's Jesus. For many of us, we gather here to worship because of our belief in who Jesus is, but we also need to recognize that Jesus is a stumbling block to many. To to see Him as being God and that He would come in flesh, this is a scandalous story. We're going to look at Jesus and His name, Emmanuel, being God with us this morning. For now, we're going to continue in worship together, and I invite you to stand with me as we all worship together. Open with me to Matthew chapter 1, if you will. There was a promise made to Abraham that he was going to have a a very large family, that they were going to have a home that they could claim as their own. And the greatest part of the promise was that everyone who ever encountered this family, they would be happy that they came across them. That promise ultimately was not fulfilled with Abraham. It wasn't fulfilled with his children or his grandchildren. But that promise, it it, it continued to be renewed generation after generation as God would speak to that family and renew the commitment that he made to bless this family. It was expanded whenever David became king over this family, became king over the nation that they had grown to be. And he made a promise to David that that someone in his family would reign on the throne for eternity. Now they struggled with what that really means, especially considering it was just the next generation that, that uh, saw the, the kingdom be split apart. And uh, one side of the family had someone outside of the family be king. And then it wasn't long before they, they were conquered and they were no longer an independent nation and they had somebody that was ruling over them and it wasn't a part of their own Family, but they clung uh, very tightly to this promise that once again that God would would send somebody to relieve them, somebody to save them, and they they referred to this man as a Messiah. Matthew opens his gospel with this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David. And what was, what was unique, what was out of place with, the, with Jesus coming is no one expected that the Messiah would be God. John Grisham in his novel, The Street Lawyer, tells a powerful story about a young lawyer, young attorney by the name of Michael Brock, who was an up-and-coming man in this, this large law firm uh, they had 800 lawyers that were working and he was he was rising very quickly through the ranks whenever he and some of his co-workers were kidnapped and held hostage by a homeless man while at gunpoint michael brock begins to evaluate his life and what really matters and he starts to to determine that 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 wealth and and prestige that's not what matters but what matters is his faith and his family 
And so he leaves. Once he's released, he leaves the law firm and he dedicates the rest of his life to being a street lawyer, to becoming a, a, an advocate for the homeless. Such a powerful story because it's a, a trajectory of life that, that no one takes. Because the trajectory of life is to, the object of life is to, to climb the ladder of success, not to descend the ladder. No one expected that the Messiah would be God. Least of all is Joseph. As Matthew traces this family line, he, he gets to Joseph, but it, he says that, that Joseph was the husband of Mary. And Mary was the mother of Jesus. He doesn't say that, that Joseph was the father, and it becomes clear why whenever you read later in the story. Let's pick up in Matthew 1, verse 19. As Mary is already pregnant, verse 19 says that Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is convinced, conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Joseph required some convincing to, to stay involved in this relationship because no one anticipated that this was the way that it would take place. And think about it. God could have fulfilled this promise any number of ways. If He's the one that's setting the rules to the game, He can set the rules in any way that He wants to. But He decides that He Himself is going to come down into this world. And the baby that is born is given the name Emmanuel to remind us that God is with us. And Matthew doesn't just begin his gospel with this story, but he ends the, his gospel with Jesus declaring that he is going to be with his followers all the way till the end of the age. This is the core of the gospel that God is with us. Emmanuel is with us. While that is our hope, we have become so accustomed to this idea that we have lost how radical it is that God is with us. This last week I read an article about a, a Chinese man by the name of Lin that had uh, be, befriended Charles Barkley, the, uh, the former NBA player and now analyst on uh, TNT, a uh, man that is 6'6", a, a behemoth of a man that has brash opinions. And he's befriended this uh, five-foot-nothing uh, Chinese man. They met at a bar in a hotel 
And some, somehow they struck a friendship, and whenever Lynn returned back to his family, he started to talk about his friend, Charles Barkley. And they weren't sports fans, so they had no idea who he was talking about. But over the years, they began to put it together, and, and uh, his co-workers, nobody can really believe that somebody of Charles Barkley's status would really be a friend would give his cell phone number out and, and go out to eat at any time that they were in the same town with somebody like Lynn. And that's, that's what we have with, with God and us on a much grander scale. But this promise of Emmanuel being with us, it offers us great assurance it offers us assurance of, of the, the godness of Jesus. We are taught from the time that we are little that everything has a polar opposite. The 2000 film Unbreakable, starring Samuel Jackson uh, as Elijah Prince, who is a man that, that is... It's just extremely frail. He gets sick at the drop of a hat. He's broken countless number of bones. And he has gone on a search, convinced that there is somebody that has to be his polar opposite. And so he goes around uh, creating these catastrophes, trying to find somebody that is unbreakable. And he finds that man in Bruce Willis. When Santa is checking his list... He's looking for a way to divide people into two groups. Those who are naughty and those who are nice. We're, we're, we're taught about, about north and the opposite of that is what? South. The, the opposite of your left hand is what? Your right hand. If something isn't good, it is what? It's bad or it, it's evil. The opposite of Jesus is, is who? Now what? The opposite of Jesus who? Satan? Are you sure about that? Because Jesus, as God, has no equal. He has no opposite. Jesus said in Matthew 28 that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Ephesians 1 verse 21 says that Christ rules up in heaven uh, there above all heavenly rulers, authorities, powers, and lords. He has a title superior to all titles of authority in this world and in the next. See, the, the, the polar opposite, it does not apply to Jesus. And so whenever you're looking at, at the life that Jesus is going to live, there is nothing that is going to be able to, to thwart or to stop his agenda. And Satan tries. But he has is, he is proven time and time again to be no equal to Jesus. And because of that fact, whenever Jesus is given the name Emmanuel, God with us, whenever He makes the promise that He will always be with His followers, that means that that for those who believe, the men and women who are faithful, that there is nothing that can separate you 
from the withness of God. Listen to these words from Romans chapter 8. As Paul says, who will be, bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Not only does Emmanuel assure us of the godness of Jesus, but it also assures us of the Jesusness of God. That whenever you see Jesus, you are seeing God. John 14, verse 9 says, Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Hebrews 1, verse 3, the Son reflects the glory of God and shows exactly what God is like. Whenever I was doing my school work to get a master's in marriage and family therapy, we had to do an internship where we, we had to uh, see clients for 500 hours uh, in, uh, in supervision. And a part of the curriculum, you had to, to meet with a supervisor for every uh, so many hours that you, you were counseling somebody, you had to meet with a supervisor, and we were paired up with a, a partner from the class that we would meet with supervision with. The first day of supervision, our supervisor asked us to identify a, a population of of people or a specific um, problem that that people may be wrestling with that that you don't feel like you could you could sit with them you don't feel like you could you could be present with them in the way that they need. I was paired with a girl from the class by the name of Hannah, and Hannah spoke up first and said that she didn't didn't think that she could offer counseling to. Uh, those who were child abusers, those who were molesters, that she just didn't feel like um, that somebody that did that kind of thing, that, that she could uh, be with them and, and help them, that, that she was kind of repulsed by their, their activities, and, and it was just too hard for her to do. Then it came my turn, and so I thought I had to come up with something different, and, and I shared that, that I was not sure that I could uh, sit with uh, or counsel um, those who are engaging in a homosexual lifestyle. That as somebody who is a, a Christian and a a preacher, that that was something that I, I just didn't feel like I could I could condone something that I think that that Scripture says is a sin. I don't know if you've ever had a, a moment where you were. Uh, kind of talking about somebody and you discover that that somebody is behind you. 
What I didn't know about Hannah is that her mom is a lesbian and that she was raised in this environment. After that supervision was over, the supervisor shared with me and and so the, the next uh, time we got together, we were going to have to negotiate this because this is one of the, the most uh, foundational relationships in this, uh, th- this process. And uh, I decided that the next week that I would bring it up and that I, I would ask Hannah to share with me what life has been like for her and, and uh, what what people who, who claim to wear the name of Christ have, have done to her. And she shared some of the hurts and pains that she has experienced. And I looked at Hannah and I, I said, I, I want to, to first off just, just apologize to you. On, on behalf of, of, of churches, on behalf of, of Christ, as much as I can possibly do that as, as somebody that's just human, but I, I don't think that, that you've been treated fairly. And I did that. Because she had heard an awful lot about the, the judgment of God. But what she had not heard very often is how Jesus-like God is. She had, she had been raised in in. The Bible Belt, she was somewhat familiar with religion and she was one of those people that would say that they like Jesus but just not the church or just not God because they are separate. But whenever Jesus comes to this world and he's, He is walking around and, and He is having dinner with sinners and, and the religious leaders, they're looking at Him and saying, He can't be a prophet. And they're missing the fact that he's more than a prophet. He is God. He is revealing who God is. That, that God, there, there's nothing that you can do in this world that will make God love you any less. There is nothing that you can do in this world that will make God love you any more than He does at this very moment. Because whenever you read the Gospels and you see Jesus embracing and and, and welcoming those who are on the outside, whenever you see Him offering challenges to, to grow in holiness and to grow in faith, that's who God is. And we need to be reminded of how just how Jesus-like God is. And the good news is that Emmanuel offers us the assurance of the endlessness of goodness. That if we can live, if God really is that good, that eternity is that forever. In John 17, verse 3, Jesus says that, that what eternity is, what heaven is, is not a place, but it is a relationship. It is that we know God and the Son whom He has sent. The ultimate reality of eternity is withness. Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 17, that 
eternity is always through the eternity of the eternities. We shall be with the Lord. And that is good news. That is the good news of the gospel. That is why this season is a season of joy. Because Jesus has come to reveal to us the love that God has for us. And He's made the promise that we can always be with Him. I read the story of a little girl that told her mother one evening, I love you more than I love God. The mother said, Honey, you don't mean that. The little girl said, Sure I do. And before the mother began to, to correct the, the theology of that, she asked for the, the little girl to explain why she loves her mother more than she loves God. The little girl said, Well, whenever I give you a hug, you hug me back. The little girl voiced a desire that we all experience to be with God. To be able to experience His presence in a a tangible way that, that we could feel Him being with us day in and day out. And Emmanuel offers us that assurance that God is somehow mysteriously with us now and in that day when Christ returns again, that we will be with Him in a more full way. And every time we gather, we offer you an invitation into that family. Because we are all awkward. We all make mistakes. We all sin. And and we all are a part of this this ragtag group uh, that, that we call a family. And the joy is in knowing who God is. And as we continue to sing and worship this morning, I want to invite you into that family if you're not already a part of it. To come into Christ. To join us in this awkward family. Some of our shepherds will be gathered at the back of the worship center. I'll be at the front. If there's some way that we can assist you this morning, we invite you to come as we stand to worship together.